This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. Are you ready? Let's go. From AMI Central. Now circling in the neutral zone. Here's the pitch on the way. 36 yards for the win. This. Here comes a big chance. The shot is. Is this the tagger? The neutral zone. This is as good as it gets. Now, here's your host, two-time Paralympian, Brock Richardson. I'm going to be the bearer of bad news right off the uh, jump of the show today to tell you that this marks the final weekend of summer. I'm so sorry. I can hear the listener out there booing, but uh, that is the truth. This is the final Weekend of summer as we will head into fall, but you're of course listening to another edition of the Neutral Zone. It's four o'clock in the east, so that means on a Friday it's time for another edition of the Neutral Zone. Joining me this week is first of all Cam Jenkins. Cameron, how are you? Uh, top of the afternoon to you. I'm doing okay. Um, been a busy week. Uh, did some exercises today and. Yeah, I'm just looking forward to, you know, not to make it too political, but I'm looking forward to um, on Monday, everyone voting and seeing where it is and just kind of getting on with life. Yes, absolutely. And I second the go out and do your deed as uh, Canadians and bring your own Sharpie as you ought to do this year and mark your ballots whatever way you feel. Uh, Monday, uh, which I believe it's it's like all day that they do uh, voting, so it's uh, it's a long time, and hopefully you find some time to uh, get out there and vote. Finding some time to join us is one Josh Watson. Josh, how the heck are you? I am doing really well, Brock. It has been a busy week for me as well. I actually accepted a new job today, so it's been a very exciting week. And I agree with you and Cameron. Thank you, Cameron. I uh, I agree with Cameron. Do your civic duty on Monday, however you see fit, because in our, well, at least the way I was raised, if you don't place your vote, you don't have a right to, uh, let's go with complain. Yeah, complaints. Uh, I, was, I like that. <laughs> I was brought up the exact same way. With mm-hmm, that exact same absolutely. word that we can't use on the air, but uh, complaining works for this uh, this this purpose. What else works on does. our on our program is let's get into our headlines. The Montreal Alouettes announced Tuesday that head coach Kahari Jones has tested positive for COVID nineteen. Jones, who received the diagnosis on Sunday, will be in isolation from the rest of the club for at least 10 days. Since receiving this news, Jones has remained in preventive isolation at home and is feeling well, the team said in a statement. He is asymptomatic and remains in constant contact with the team doctors. I have watched Kahari Jones as both a player in the CFL and now for a number of years as a coach. I wish him nothing but the best and hope that he bounces back quickly from this nasty, nasty illness. Congratulations to rising Canadian tennis star Leila Annie Fernandez, who finished second at the U.S. Open for the first time in her career. She takes home a whopping $1.5 million to the 
To this point of her career, she has taken home a total of 780,000. So a big pay jump for Layla and congratulations as there is a rise for Canada in the tennis world. Keep it up, Canada. You're doing a great job. Toronto Maple Leafs forward Austin Matthews underwent successful wrist surgery this offseason. He said in a recent interview, I plan to be back for opening night. Uh, I'm scared to see what Austin Matthews is going to do uh, with a good wrist. Um, Last year, it was not a good wrist. He had 40 goals and who cares how many assists. And I'm just so excited that he's going to be back at full strength. And hopefully he's going to be back for the first game like he hopes. The Toronto Raptors are the last Canadian franchise to return home. They will play home games this year at Scotiabank Arena for the first time in over a year. I am so happy for the Raptors to see them returning home. I think Tampa was a nice temporary home for them last year. But anytime you are receiving boos or other cheers for the other team in your home building, there's absolutely a problem. So way to go, Raptors. Glad we've got this figured out and let's get you home and on a winning streak. I couldn't agree more. Those are your headlines for this week. Uh, Let's check in on our Twitter poll questions from last week. First one is, do you support the extra game for all teams in the NFL? 69% said yes. 31% said no. This week's Twitter poll question is, are you surprised that the Toronto Blue Jays are atop the wildcard standing? Your options are... Very surprised or not surprised at all. Go to our Twitter handles to cast your vote. At AMI-audio is where you can catch that as well. Our Twitter handles will be given out in a little bit later on in the program. Coming up next, we're going to speak to technical delegate of Bocce Blast, Adam Dukovic, who is going to join us and tell us all about the 30th anniversary of their event. That's coming up next here on the Neutral Zone. Stay with us. We'll be right back. And welcome back to the Neutral Zone AMI broadcast booth. And we are set to get this ball game underway. The first pitch brought to you by Brock Richardson's Twitter account at NeutralZoneBR. First pitch, strike. And hey, gang, why not strike up a Twitter chat with Claire Buchanan for the Neutral Zone? Find her at NeutralZoneCB. And there's a swing and a chopper out to second base. Right at Claire, she picks up the ball, throws it over to first base for a routine out. And fans, there is nothing routine about connecting with Cam and Josh from the Neutral Zone. At Neutral Zone, Cam J and at J Watson 200. Now that's a winning combination. And this Oregon interlude is brought to you by AMI-audio on Twitter. Get in touch with the Neutral Zone. Type in at AMI-audio. Welcome back to the Neutral Zone right here on AMI-audio. I'm Brock Richardson, joined by Cam Jenkins and Josh Watson. Joining us now is Adam Dukovic. Adam is from London, Ontario, and is a former bocce player and has been successful at the international and national level of the sport. Since retirement, Adam has 
been involved in the technical side of the pro of the sport, and he is here to discuss the 30th anniversary of Bocce Blast. Adam, uh, when did you become interested in the technical side of the sport? I always liked organizing tournaments, and I started unofficially doing the schedule for Blast in 2007. Then Pacha created a new role called the Technical Delegate in 2011. I started pushing Pacha Canada to run a course, which they finally did in 2018, and I became the first person to complete a national course and become a national level TD. Can you tell us what the role is of a Technical Delegate at an event? Think of it as the head official. I create the pools and schedule. I handle any problems not during play. I track results and I make the final rulings on any issues. The event will be taking place next weekend, September 24th through 26th. Can you talk a little bit about some of the protocols that are in place amidst the pandemic? So in simple terms, if you don't have a role in the running of the event, you're not allowed at the tournament. If you are not playing or coaching or refereeing during a time slot, you're not allowed in the gym. This year is the 30th year for Bocce Blast. Is there anything special happening surrounding the anniversary? No, due to COVID, all 30th anniversary plans will take place next year at the 31st blast. We're joined by Adam Dugovic, who is the technical delegate for the 30th anniversary of the Bocce Blast. And I just want to make note, Adam is using a light writer to communicate with us on the program here today. So, Adam, uh, there is a new logo being used for the event. Can you describe the logo to the audience? Yes. There's an awesome new logo. It's a cannonball in the middle of exploding with the words London Cannonball's Bacha Blast. My awesome co-chair Tammy designed it with her friend. We are selling t-shirts with the logo at the event. If anyone wants to buy one, they're $25 plus shipping. Either email the club or hit me up on Twitter and we will ship it to you and the money will be used for next year's blast or national championships that we are hosting also next year. Let's talk a little bit about the event itself. How many athletes will be participating this year? 25 athletes are coming that down, but good given the situation. Plus, we have a junior tournament on Thursday with nine kids. What do you believe uh, the biggest challenge for you and the organizing committee will be uh, to put on this event? By far this year, it's been COVID and the extra costs. Because, for example, every official needs their own room, so our hotel bill is double normal cost. That's just one example, so I would like to take this time to thank our provincial partner, 
Ontario CP Sports for stepping up and covering all our COVID costs. Without them, the London Cannonballs couldn't have run this. I understand that there's an app available for people to download so that they can follow along with the event. Can you talk to us a little bit more about that? The app is called Team Snap Tournaments. You can download it on your phones and search for London Cannonball's Batch of Last 2021. You will be able to see the schedule and live results. Unfortunately, Due to COVID, we can't live stream the games. Adam, uh, thank you very much for joining us today on the program. Uh, we really appreciate it. And uh, best of luck with the event and uh, congratulations on the new logo. And we look forward to following it on the app. Thanks, guys. That was Adam Dukovich, who is the technical delegate for Bocce Blast. Bocce Bus will be taking place starting September the 23rd through the 26th this year. So do check that event out. And again, we appreciate Adam coming on. Coming up next, we're going to be joined by Kelly McDonald, who's going to join us for a MLB roundtable. We're going to discuss the fascinating Toronto Blue Jays right after this. You're listening to The Neutral Zone on AMI-audio. For the neutral zone, call now 1 866 509 4545. And don't forget to give us permission to use your message on the air. Let's get ready to leave a voicemail. Welcome back to the Neutral Zone right here on AMI-audio. I'm your host, Brock Richardson, joined by Josh Watson and Cam Jenkins. And um, we're also joined by Kelly McDonald, who you are familiar with weekdays from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern on aptly named Kelly and Company. I was over there this week spending time with uh, Kelly, and now I decided to... uh, Bring him over here to the neutral zone. Kelly, how are you? Good, thank you, sir. Hello, boys. Good Top to have you on Good to have you on board with us. And the reason I do this, folks, is because I know Kelly is a huge Blue Jays fan, baseball fan. So let's kick around a little bit of Blue Jays discussion. And I have to say that uh, the Blue Jays sit here right now, and they are 82 and 64 on this the season, and they are in a virtual tie with the Boston Red Sox. They are a half game ahead of the New York Yankees as we sit here at time of recording. And first of all, and Kelly, you are the guest of honor, so I will throw this one to you. What do you think has made the biggest difference in this turnaround when? A month ago, we were seven games back of those New York Yankees, and now we're leading the American League wildcard. 
I think back to the Raptors and when things imploded with COVID, with playing in Tampa, which wasn't a terrible place for them to be playing. It was what it was. The lack of, of fandom uh, really, I think, affects teams more than we'd ever, ever, ever know. I think we can sit there and safely all say, yeah, well, of course it's going to. I think help from the New York Yankees going um, well going into what they're going through. The Boston Red Sox has had COVID to deal with as well, um, but they often find a way to pull something out in the later innings. The Blue Jays very much struggled with that. The Blue Jays needed everything to click at the same time, um, and I mean in the positive way. We had people not hitting. The pitchers were delivering, were doing what they needed to the starters. The bullpen was starting to pull itself together. That's a lot of things going on already and you're saying, hey, they're positive things, but you still need everything to click. I think for people, the viewpoint that the Jays are are really clicking at the right time, September, the way you want them to, and for it to be a tough time going into the playoff. You want this neck and neck. You want this team focused and playing at peak. I credit the fact that we all know there's a lot of talent. I think that the age of the players and things that they're doing is amazing, but they're still a younger team. And sometimes pulling out those wins, we may not quite know how to do yet. And maybe we'll see that Charlie Montoya, uh, he only has so much ceiling before maybe we need to think in the off season of other things. But right now we just need to bask in what's happening. We have the confidence that this manager has the, the best interests of the team um, and will do and great relationship with his players. I'll add uh, as, as far as we know. Um, but I also think not having to deal so directly with media um, allows them to be the buddies. They are allows them to be okay with saying, oh, you know what, if I don't get a hit here, look who's behind me in the lineup. And we always say that, Oh, a deep lineup. It makes you think that way, but it's wonderful when you actually have no, animosity, no issues with the person behind you and say, well, no, I'm going to get the hit. Not, I'm not going to wait and let him get it. I'm not just going to sit here and take the walk. You see so much generosity amongst all these players, Brock. Yeah, there's a, a couple of things here that stand out to me. Number one, this team has been very friendly with each other. It's almost like a, a brotherhood. I cannot tell you how many times this season we've seen them pan into the dugout and show that Vladdy's messing around with Guriel, <laughs> Bichette's doing whatever with the team. And that is something that's, I think, un- even the newcomers, more underrated. That's right. And I think that's something that's more underrated than um, it should be. And the other thing is, Josh, and I'll let you go first on this one, as much as we know George Springer <laughs> is not 100%, but his presence in the lineup alone makes a big difference on this team. I think maybe George forgets sometimes that he's not a hundred percent. Did anybody see that slide on? I think it was Tuesday. The, the <laughs> swim, swim and flop like a dead fish. I'm like, Oh my goodness. Something bad is going to happen here. But no, I have been incredibly surprised um, pleasantly by, by what I've seen. And yeah, Kelly, I think there's a, a good point there. When you're playing in Tampa, sorry, when you're playing in Dunedin or you're playing in Buffalo, you're you're in the enemy's turf, so to speak. So even though it's a home game, you've got fans cheering for the other side. You've got 
fans maybe not invested the same way. So I think them being home here at Rogers Center is exactly what this team needed. Mm. And I'm I'm just so happy to see them putting it all together and sharing the load. And uh, Marcus Semyon, hello. <laughs> like, I'm not used to seeing this kind of production out of a second baseman. I don't know about you. But it's just been absolutely amazing to to watch this whole thing, and it does help. Let's let's not lie. It does help when the New York Yankees decide to implode, and it does help when the Boston Red Sox contract COVID when they do, and when their pitcher is just coming back off of an injury, their their ace pitcher Chris Sale. So there are things that have gone in their favor, but now it's a matter of we got to keep the pedal down. We've got to mm-hmm. keep the intensity going. We've we've got to keep this up because those other teams are used to being in the playoffs and yes. they're not going to take kindly to being beaten. So Cameron, I we're not going to touch on the uh, Charlie Montoyo uh situation quite yet <laughs> because that's gonna open a whole and a whole nother can of worms which we'll touch on but not quite i'm just curious to know from your perspective when you think that this team was seven games behind the new york yankees they kind of clawed back they're leading the american league do you think they're gonna stay where they are and be able to maintain this going into the final two weeks of the season. Yeah, absolutely. I think they are going to make the wild card spot, uh, whether it's in the second or first position of the wild card. Um, I think the turning point for me uh, was the series against the Yankees that they swept them. And I think that showed uh, a lot of faith um, in the Toronto Blue Jays. They were um, able to kind of do that four-game series and say to themselves, yeah, we can do this. And they've been on a roll ever since and just before that as well. So I definitely think that they're going to get either the first or second wild card spot. And then let's see what happens uh, when the playoffs start. Kelly, does it matter to you at this point whether they get the first or second wild card spot? Or is it just a matter of, look, you've dug yourself out of a hole You've maintained it for the time being. Are you sold on it has to be first? No, not at all. Um, My turning spot was the Oakland series. I don't, you know, when they roared back, and I think I got tired of myself screaming at the TV, taking baseball so serious, walking away (laughs) saying, what are you doing? And then thinking, uh, you know, to ask Google what the final score was because I record them and start watching a little bit later so I can skip the commercials. And I was just about to do that. And I I don't remember who hit, but it just things just started to turn around. And I remember saying to myself, have some confidence, man. You know, um, I, I think for me, Brock, whatever position they can get will be... Uh, will be great. This is a team that can perform at a very high level. And what I've really liked is the, 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 the senior players are helping the younger get better. The guys, the less experienced. What you see happening with Teoscar, with Gariel, th- that to me is a real tremendous story, not to mention what you see going on at third base with, with, with the different guys that have come in and are making some amazing plays. We do got to watch hurting Gladdy, Vladdy with these bad throws, but, you know, but no, it doesn't matter mm. to me. I, here's the thing, and I haven't said it yet. I, I think the turning point for me was that Orioles doubleheader. 
when they scored like uh, 11 runs in the seventh inning of a doubleheader game and they were down, you know, by three multiple times in that game. And I was sitting in a, in someone's backyard and I was with my mother, who's the biggest Blue Jay fan. And I, I was sort of teasing her and saying, well, this is what happens when they play a weaker team. This is what happens. And she wanted to stay on the positive train and wanted to, they're going to come back. They're going to come back. And I said, yeah, I don't think so. And the funniest thing about that was she left the backyard and uh, she she was on her way back home and, and she was listening to it on the radio. And she called me before I had even seen the Springer home run and she's laughing. And I said, Mom, what are you laughing at? Like, there, nothing's happened. She said, oh, just keep watching, just keep watching. And then they went and did it again in the next game where they scored a bunch more runs to just continue that role and i think the biggest difference on top of just being able to score runs is the bullpen they are now at the top of of the american league east or near the top in era and this is something that everyone when we got rid of the starter everyone's like oh the bullpen just they keep throwing it up they keep doing this and and we don't know what's happening and charlie montoyo mismanagement of bullpen etc etc and so I think there's been a lot of different things that have happened with this team, and they've just kept it on a roll. Um, that bullpen I, is my, still fragile, Brock. In it my is, opinion, but it's incredibly fragile. It is, but it's better than what it yeah. was. Like at sure. least, at least when you when you get in there and you and you see Charlie Montoya do the walk to the mound, you're not like literally going, "Oh my God, are we gonna you know throw this up again?" Because mm. They are saving games. Sure, it's not as consistent as it would need to be for an American League uh, playoff series against, you know, possibly the Tampa Bay Rays or New York or Boston for the wild card. But I think we're getting there. On to Mr. Charlie Montoyo. Mr. Jenkins, have you had an opinion change on Charlie Montoyo? You've been pretty, you know, big on this program saying you're not a fan of him. With what's going on now, is there a bit of a change of opinion? No, absolutely not. Last time I checked, and that was a little while ago, there was uh, 12 leads that were given up by the bullpen and where they lost. Even if you took half of those, we wouldn't have to worry about what position that we're in right now. Um, as far as the wild card spot goes, we would be so far in front. Um, and I don't understand why Montoyo keeps sending out people like Dolis or Chatwood in high leverage situations when you have people like Trevor Richards or Jordan Romano that they're pitching so much better. And someone like Chatwood, there was a game where he walked four batters in a row and Charlie didn't pull him, but they had the other Richards or Romano that they could have put in instead. Like, and you want to talk playoffs last year, they had Shoemaker in, and he was pitching beautifully in the playoffs in the game, and they ended up taking him out. Why do you leave a bullpen pitcher in there for four walks in a row, but you take a guy out like Shoemaker that was having a fantastic game and not in any real danger and pull him? The bullpen management by Montoyo is just absolutely atrocious. And... Even I don't understand Montoyo when he uh, pinch hits for certain players 
once again, in high-pressure situations. It's just, I don't understand. Like, I understand he wants maybe a lefty against a righty or a lefty against a lefty, but some of the times when people are hitting well, he still pulls them and puts somebody in in a high-pressure situation, and it doesn't work out. So, uh, I, you know, and as far as for the rest of the team, for the rest of the team, like, all you have to do is put up the batting order, and they're going to hit, and they're going to get runs. And with the pitchers that the starting pitching that we have now, you just have to run them out every five days, and they're pitching really well. So, you know, I really think that Montoyo needs to go after this season um, because I think there's been a lot of games that has been lost because of the bullpen and his decisions. Kelly, thoughts? You know, I feel that when you look at the bullpen issues, we had a great bullpen in April. Injuries befell them. And you've asked people to get into roles that some of them just are really not designed for. They're not fit for. And you're asking a lot of them. You've got to work through all these guys so that because you've got to use them. They're there. That's the numbers you have. And to keep management of people's workload. The starting pitchers, thank goodness, have gone further. Um, so that helps a lot. I feel bad for Robbie Ray, who doesn't get run support when he's pitching. As for being frustrated when guys come in, Cameron, I, I, I agree. I've always been that way. I've always, oh, no, what do you call, how come it seems this person's always coming in? And what about, and, and I know it's all about the roles. It's all about the batter, right-handed, left-handed, uh, some of the things that I know on myself. I don't fully uh, understand. Charlie Montoya, I think, was a good pick for the team. Do I hold again the bullpen stuff against him? No. But I do think he was there coming from the Rays to work with the younger players. Now that we've got so many seasoned vets helping each other out and we're ready to move on to a higher level of postseason and regular postseason, I don't think he's the person. I think that they, and I almost think that this was, this is not going to be a surprise to Charlie that the team will look for a manager that will carry them further, even more. Someone with more experience in the area of dealing with a very talented, gifted team of guys who aren't as young as they were last year, still are young, and that person that knows how to call the game, when to do this, when to do that, who off my bench when my pinch hitters are limited, because we really don't have that that big marquee pinch hitter that the Razor or the other teams have that we can call off the bench really. Um, it's just not there yet. They're working on it. They're getting better. All the guys will. So I, I'm like Cameron, uh, except I don't think that everything he's done has been wrong. I just think that he, his time is getting closer to the end. If, if money and contract were no, um, object, like if you had your pick of any manager that you could pick, who would fit, what type of manager would fit? Mm. this team at the end of this year if you had a full gamut of pick and they said okay toronto you can have any manager you want who would you pick and why wow for me um maybe joe joe madden that's Um, the name that came to my mind too that's the i like just the way he and he does things and he's done things on limited budget he's dealt with management um there's a couple but i i like what he what he does definitely Josh, any thoughts on uh, Charlie Montoyo? Yay, nay, what do we think? I agree with Kelly and Cameron to a point. 
I do think, unfortunately, Charlie is going to go. My point has always been throughout this season that, yes, Delise and Chatwood and Carl Edwards Jr. and insert player X here were bad. There's no denying it. And that's why they're off the team. At the end of it all, Charlie doesn't play the game. He simply manages the game to the best of his ability. When you've got a bullpen where nobody can get anybody out and you just basically have to close your eyes, put your hand in the bag and pull out a name, of course things are going to go off the rails. I think the biggest thing that's happened in the last month, two months, is that guys have defined roles again. Trevor Richards knows when to expect to come in. Jordan Romano, although you wouldn't know it, watching him pace around in the bullpen in the third inning, (laughs) knows when he's coming in. I I love that crazy guy, by the way. But this is the thing. And hello, Adam Simber. Did we ever expect that a guy who throws sidearm was going to be the high leverage guy? I didn't. I expected him to be a fifth or sixth inning guy, but here he is. The players have to play well. And... Charlie, I think, needed to do a bit better job. I'm concerned still about Bo and about that third base position uh, because before Kevin went down, he was having problems from there, and there's been others who have had problems making throws across the diamond. Those are fundamentals. Those are the kinds of things I expect Charlie to have an impact on. Mm -hmm. But the wins and the losses, like the players play the game. Here's here's where I sort of look at Charlie Montoyo in a different light. Okay, I, I, I think I saw something today that would just make Cameron probably roll his eyes at me. And we're not in the same room, so I won't be able to tell if he's going to roll his eyes at me. But... Well, plot twist, if, I already am, so go ahead. <laughs> if... If the Toronto Blue Jays make it to the playoffs, this guy will, right for or wrongfully, be in the conversation for manager of the year. And it's simply because of the turnaround of this team. Because one of the reasons, one of the things that happens in this big turnaround is, yes, we put it on, you know, people like Vladdy, people like Bo, people like Springer, Gurriel, etc. The names go on. But when a team makes a big turnaround, as they have, and if they can close the deal, he has to be in the conversation for manager of the year. Does he deserve it? That's up for debate, as we're doing right now. But if there is a big turnaround like that, he's going to be in the conversation for coach of the year. Now, we've seen coaches, a.k.a. Dwayne Casey, get fired right right after he gets coach of the year. And they bring in Nick Nurse, who was, you know, the second in command and and Nick Nurse did what Nick Nurse did. But I think Charlie does deserve a level of credit as to what he's ter- done to turn this team around. And I, and I th- and I think what that's what's What has he done to fair. turn the team around? He's put out the same nine guys for batting and in August the Blue Jays they had a terrible month as far as hitting goes but then they got back to what they've been doing for the rest of the year and he's trotted out basically the four or five uh, same pitchers and we acquired Beros um, from I think it was the Twins and Mm -hmm. he's been fairly good except for a couple of starts so he's just throwing out the same guys over and over again and they're doing it 
And it's his managing of the bullpen that, you know, I keep harping on. Yeah, I I think there I I, I agree with you on the the mismanagement of the bullpen. I think there has to be a level of He's good for kids, as Kelly has mentioned. I don't think he's going to be here forever. I agree. But I do think he's going to be here for maybe another two-year deal uh, once it expires. We'll see. But I just think that Charlie deserves more credit than he's being given. And Well, there's too much my... that we can't see, Brock. Behind the scenes, guys, the the environment, who's responsible for letting these guys be who they are, letting this wonderful that all teams are looking at. Why is this team loved, you know, by by even audiences that get to see the games? So there's a level uh, of that that this guy has to get credit for and whatever work he, he does. Sure, he's trotting the same people out, which any of the managers out there have to do. And I think as a team turns around, like 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 you said, there has to be that reckoning. Do I think he come playoffs is going to some of those mistakes could really be the difference, right? Um, but again, I, you can only work with what you can, including that bullpen, and you can't help. What I think needs to be analyzed, Brock, is why do we have so many injuries? Is it post pandemic, shortened season, or as we saw Josh Donaldson speaking of Minnesota coming to town? Say at one point, what's going on here with the the the, the medicine, the science here, and, and fitness of the team? Yeah, I, I I just believe that, you know, there is a level of there's a lot of injuries. I do. I am one that chalks it up and looks at, you know, the pandemic. I think you've seen injuries on the rise in everywhere, everywhere, all yeah. sports, etc. But I, I just think there has to be credit because one of the things that Charlie has said, and this is those invaluable pieces that we don't always talk about, is this team has kept their morale the same. They've enjoyed coming to the baseball park every day, and they've stuck with it. And somebody, somebody has to be saying the right things. And Charlie, being the manager, is going to be at the forefront of getting that type of credit for giving, for for this team staying in the proper morale, whoever it is that's doing it. It doesn't matter whether it's Charlie or the bench coaches or Pete Walker or whoever. Charlie is at the forefront. He's the manager of this team. So good, bad, or indifferent, it's going to fall on mm-hmm. Charlie Montoyo. Let's mm-hmm. uh, close the segment by saying, uh, do we think that the Toronto Blue Jays will make it to the wild card? And do they have a shot against either the Yankees or the Red Sox? Kelly, start with you. Uh, they definitely have a chance. Certainly, I think that it's going to be really raucous, really fun. And the other thing I want you guys to think about, Brock, if we keep Simeon, do we have to move him to shortstop? Will that be part of the negotiation? Um, because he's done amazing at second. Maybe that sold him. But I actually I really would like to hear what people think in that conversation as we get into the winter time. And what does the team do with its promise to bowl? Josh? I think there's absolutely a chance that we get there. I think there's an equal chance that we come just short. But what I hope we don't see is the scenario that we've talked about this week, which is the three-way tie where you have to have a playoff to get into the first wild card, yes. a playoff to get into the second wild card, and then the wild card game, because that will just totally screw things up. But wouldn't that Cameron? be so Toronto as well? 
<laughs> Listen, don't be uh, saying that'll be so Toronto as well, man. Um, the, the Jays are going to get in it, and I don't care if they have to do a one playoff game to get to the next game, to the next game, to the next game. Um, they're used to playing so many days in a row, and I think that they're going to be probably um, vying for at least the American League championship game. So I think that they're going to go at least that far. I wonder what team falls off. I think the Yankees. I do yeah. too. And I'm never sure to see the lanky issues. <laughs> and that and that series against the Yankees in Toronto is going to prove big as it did when they were in the Bronx and swept them. Kelly, thank you so much for uh, spending a good chunk of time with us and chatting a little Toronto Blue Jays. Thanks for having me, guys. You can catch Kelly McDonald and Ramia on uh, weekdays here on AMI-audio from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern on the network. And, of course, you can catch them on podcasts as well if you miss their episode. Coming up next, we're going to chat a little bit about the Paralympics and how they don't get medal, get money when they win medals at the Paralympic Games as their counterpart does. We'll discuss what's wrong with that picture and how it impacts the Paralympic community will be back right after this. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Neutral Zone right here on AMI-audio. I'm your host, Brock Richardson, joined by Cam Jenkins and Josh Watson. And we've had a great show up to this point. And uh, I'd like to thank Adam Dukovich and Kelly McDonald for joining us. And uh, we're going to spend some time discussing the Olympics and Paralympics and how they don't exactly jive as far as their recognition of... Uh, medals. So we know that when the um, uh, Olympians win medals, they win uh, uh, $10,000 for bronze, $15,000 for silver, and $20,000 for gold, whereas Paralympians do not receive anything at all. And that's per each medal that they receive, the Olympians. That's what they get. Um, why do you guys think, start with Josh, why do you guys think that they get absolutely nothing for their medal performances other than the medal itself? I think it's quite simple. They don't think about it. Um, I just think it's it's Paralympians are are sort of thought of as an afterthought and that they kind of view governments view Paralympians as uh, people who are just glad to compete. Um, there, there could be a component of trying to uh, not mess up benefits that are given uh, to people uh, to, to Paralympians. I'm speaking, of course, about ODSP and other provincial counterparts to that program. But at the end of the day, I think it's all hogwash. I think 
if you are a Brent Lakatos or a Daniel Doris, etc., if you win a medal, you should be compensated for that. And I think the thing to bear in mind is if we really ask ourselves, does the general public even know that an Olympian gets money for winning medals? I'm not so sure that it is that they do because I, for one, didn't see any coverage about it at any point. So I think it's an issue that just gets swept under the rug. Yeah, for me, I think that uh, it all has to do with the uh, almighty dollar, which the world kind of rotates around. Um, The Paralympics, they don't make as much money as the Olympics do. And so how can you justify that you're going to give money to not only the Paralympians, but the Olympians, especially in Canada now when, you know, we have an election that's going to be on Monday and we're looking at uh, affordable housing. We're looking at trying to um, get people into uh, green um, organizations or um, cars, green cars, just kind of green everything. And we have to pay for all of that. So um, for the Olympians and Paralympians, to be able to get that money, you know, I, I don't think necessarily that they should get it, to be quite honest with you. And especially for the Paralympians, um, unfortunately, right now, there just isn't enough money that's being put towards the Paralympic Games to be able to give the same amount of money that Olympians get. And is this some um, for the 10000 15000 and 20000 is that the Canadian government gives uh, money to um, the, the Olympians? Correct, correct. It is the okay. Canadian yeah. government. So, and it's, well, it's actually through um, Sport Canada, which is also through the Canadian government. So it's kind of Peter paying Paul kind of deal. But yeah, it is technically yeah, okay. through the government um, itself. And I mean, you look at... Um, you know, swimming and how many medals uh, Arlie Rivard won. I mean, she had uh, five medals in in the tournament, and n- not all of them were gold. But I mean, that that's a lot of money, you know. That and someone, right? And I think Josh, your point about you know it, it's not viewed the same is right. I think there is some some notes to oh, well, they receive a medal, so that's, you know, that's their difference, and I and I don't think that's fair. I do, I do agree with Cameron, though, however, it is a lot of money to to, to dole out. I, I don't think the Olympians maybe should be receiving it either. I think if you're going to do it, you got to do it for both or neither. Mm. I think, I well, think it's got to be respected. Hmm. With the Paralympians, though, um, or any high-performance athlete, they have a lot of uh, private money or um, organizations that um, they do advertising for, and they get money through that way. So why should the Sport Canada or, uh, you know, basically the Canadian government be giving more money, like I said, when there's so many more things that the government, in my opinion, should be putting that money towards? I want to touch on. I'm not. I'm not so sure that they do have those opportunities, Cam. I I know we see certain athletes that do get on the Petro Canada commercials and things like that, but I 
don't agree that there are all these opportunities for them to make money. We don't know how many Olympians actually have to do their training at like six in the morning or 11 o'clock at night because they're working full time. Yeah, I, the I Olympic really, athletes do I, the I same as well. I think that's correct. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, I appreciate what you're saying, but at the same time, uh, why doesn't a person that does really well at their job and is top percent at their job, why can't they get some money then? Because they put a lot of money and effort into their job and they have to work a lot of hours, sometimes a couple of minutes or a couple of jobs at a time. Like, where does it stop? But you know what, Cameron, the problem you run into there, and I think this is what you're, you're, you're getting at, the problem you run into there, if you started doing that at conventional jobs where Johnny was making more money, you know, than the next guy because he's doing better at his job, that doesn't help company morale. And I don't, and I don't necessarily think it helps Olympians, Paralympians, when when Paralympians look over in the corner and go, wait a second, they're getting that much money. What about us? I think it's the same thing. And you hear Paralympians say, this is another reason why we are not viewed the same as everyone else. So I think so there's with a Paralympians. There's... If people get a gold, silver and bronze and they get money or even Olympic athlete, aren't the other athletes that are working so hard to try to get those medals? Aren't they bitter that they're getting some extra money because they're the, the top of their jobs or the top of their sport? Sure. And that's what I'm saying. I think it's a whole it's a whole thing where you kind of get yourself into trouble, where if you start saying that because you did better at your job, you deserve, you know, like, let's say you get five medals. Well, that's $100,000. You know, that's a, that's a lot of money in the grand scheme of things. And I think there could be better use for funds to be put into both movements to make better games. But as we sit here right now, uh, Olympians get money and Paralympians don't. That is the end of our show for this week. I'd like to thank... Josh Watson and Cam Jenkins. I'd also like to thank our technical super, our technical producer for today was Akil Chin Sang. Our regular technical producer is um, Matt Agnew, and our technical supervisor is Paula Deneen, and our manager of AMI Audio is Andy Frank. Tune in next week because you just never know what happens when you enter the neutral zone. Have a great weekend, and we will talk to you next week. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.